Well, first and foremost, I'd like to say condolences to you. Because I forgot my hot drink again? Uh, no, because of the lone gunman are in this episode. Oh, yeah. I didn't write anything down for the whole scene. <laughs> That's all you. Oh, fantastic. I forgot to tell you. Excellent. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I'm glad I knew that ahead of time so I could <laughs> be prepared. I tried to write stuff down and then was just like... <sighs> <laughs> I definitely wrote a little bit of stuff down about it, but okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. We will. It'll be fine. But... Congratulations to Riley for accidentally running 17.3 <laughs> miles through the woods with me yesterday. Yeah, that was good. Super, super proud. Congratulations to you for running 50 miles through the woods on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it was on purpose. It was so cold. And here's the thing. If you guys are runners or if you're not runners, you if you're runners, you understand. And if you're not runners, but no runners, you've heard of this. We're already looking at the next races to do because that's what happens to us. Your brain gets broken. It does. Riley was in the car with me. We were uh, picking, we were driving back actually, not picking up things. And he said, oh, it's so weird that I don't remember doing it. <laughs> I remember the beginning and the end. And now I know it's done. <laughs> and I said, yep, do you want to do another one? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about doing one lap with you, but Riley never stopped doing laps with He didn't. You. He didn't stop. Well, we will be doing um, some races sometime in the spring. I met a race director on the trail who was really cool. He's on Instagram, but I he just got on Instagram. His name is Sober Sombrero. <laughs> Mike Martinez, and so if you're in Florida and looking for a trail race in the spring, we're going to go hit up some of his races. He was super fun, and uh, I didn't have, you guys weren't there yet, so I didn't have a crew. I was self-crewed for a bit, and he showed me his tent, and he's like, just grab stuff. Super cool. Really great guy. Great team. He did the 24-hour race. <laughs> Yuck. So that's what we are coming off of. So sorry if the uh, the energy is low. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> All right, you ready to get into it? Let's go. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow... Never seen the X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired, and also last week. <laughs> <laughs> the Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and, oh no, discuss. <laughs> uh, again? <laughs> We've only been doing this for more than one full season. <laughs> where we watch and discuss each episode of the X-Files, spoiler free. This week we are talking about season two, episode three, Blood. It originally aired September 30th, 1994. It was written by a gang of people. No. Oh. It was teleplay by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Story by Darren Morgan. Didn't he play the parasite in the last episode? Was it Darren? Yes. Yeah. And it was directed by David Nutter. Doing a lot of directing. I also noticed he had a producer credit on this one. Oh. I'm not sure if that was the first time, but it was the first time I noticed it. 
we had a couple of trees and things out in the woods like that. Oh, it was so funny because Riley... We they went, had producer credits? Yep. We ran out and did a loop, and then we ran out for our next loop, and Riley goes, is this a different loop? And I said, nope, but isn't this fun? <laughs> <laughs> All right. In, let's see. Do we start with the cast? Yes, because I didn't write down IMDb either. Oh, but I'm here. Hold on. Okay, IMDb says Mulder and Scully investigate a series of violent killings committed by seemingly normal residents of a small town. Yeah, I guess Scully sort of is involved. Right? Where is Scully? Well, they're not the X-Files right now. Yeah, so she's Still, and it's episode three in season two. It's time to get the band officially back together. Yeah, I agree. To drag this out when the TV show is called The (laughs) X-Files. Right. Stop dragging it out. It's not... Yeah. For AKAs, we have William Sanderson as Edward Funch. Yeah, yeah, we do. I got excited when we we opened on him. Do you know him from True Blood? I do know him from True Blood. He's the sheriff. There's a sheriff in True Blood? Yes. Hmm, He must not have been a a sexy vampire, so I don't remember him. There's a couple sheriffs on True Blood. He's not Eric. That's all I can remember. (laughs) Eric and Pam? Yeah. That's it. That's all I remember at this point. Oh, he was also in Criminal Minds Suspect Behavior. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) I watched Criminal Minds for a while. We have John Sigan as Sheriff Spencer. He was in Toy Story 3. (laughs) All right. Do you remember seeing him in that? I never saw Toy Story 3. You didn't? You didn't just cry your eyeballs out? Uh, I did, just not while watching Toy Story 3. Yeah. 2010 was a rough year for everybody. He was also in Despicable Me 3 and Mafia 3. (laughs) So he's a voice actor now. In threes, yes. Ninja Gaiden 3. (laughs) See if I can find another three. Toy Story 3, the video game. Oh. So this guy, yeah, he's a voice actor now. But that was pretty fun. He's in a lot of twos also. And a lot of things that have no numbers. So, you know, good for you. And then we have Ashlyn Gear. As Bonnie McRoberts. You may know her from Space. Oh my god. Above and Beyond. That's not the first one that caught my mind. Oh. Or caught my eye. <laughs> wow, she's got an interesting purity and innocence. Cocksmokers 12. <laughs> Whack Attack 5. She's got some numbers in hers too. <gasps> Silk Stockings, do you remember that? I mentioned it in one of the episodes. <laughs> Extreme Sex 4. The experiment. Wow. Some of these are these are fun. Let's see. So Born to be Bad, do you think it's one of these adult genre films or just a regular R-rated film? Because Born to be Bad could literally be anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It could be a commercial for all we know. I love this. I love this for her. There's a lot of deep inside Alex Jordan. <laughs> There's some range here. So that was fun. And George, oh my gosh, Tuliados as Larry Winter. Let's see what kind of fun things he's got on his page besides Dune. Uh, oh, good boy. Oh, good boy. Aw. Uh, let's see. This means war. What do you think this is? The thing. The thing that happened at the beginning of the movie. The inciting incident. <laughs> 36 hours to die. Double Jeopardy. Oh, Double Jeopardy is what Mulder said a couple episodes ago. All right. Ready to get into the show? Yes, please. Okay. So there's a trigger warning for mass murder and suicide. 
We open in the Postal Center, Franklin, Pennsylvania. There's machines working, and so is Ed Funch. A machine scrolls the envelopes by him, and he types in the zip codes, as you do. I got real excited when I saw him, because the first thing I know him from is Newhart, where he played Larry and his brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl. Oh, well, he didn't play the Daryls, <laughs> but, but that's how he would introduce every every episode. Every time he came into the room, he'd be hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl. This is my other brother Daryl. I remember that voice clip. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It, when I was a kid, I loved it. I it was I, the funniest joke in the world <laughs> to me <laughs> when I was nine or however old. Having two brothers named Daryl. <laughs> and the fact that he said that every single time. <laughs> well, I guess you were easy, but I do remember it, so it worked on me too. I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl. That's my other brother Daryl. Um, as the envelopes are scrolling by, he is typing out the zip codes, and there's a little screen that says the zip codes as he types them in. 33515, 08619-21227. So just kind of, he was, he, he was efficient. Yeah, good on that 10 key. And <laughs> here's what I said. Another example of a person efficient at their job. Mm-hmm. Because he's just doing his damn thing. An envelope jams and he cuts his finger. His supervisor comes over and tells him he needs to talk, which is never good. Also, the timing of this talk and how this goes. In the middle of the work day? Yeah. Yeah. Is mind-blowing. But also, I could imagine it happening. His supervisor says Ed's work is first rate and everyone likes him, but he's the newest, so he's got to go. Then his supervisor asks him to stay on until the end of the week. I just said, what the fuck, man? Yeah, and unfortunately, you gotta do that because you gotta have a job. Right. Uh-huh. Ugh, it was awful. But Ed goes back to his station and does his job, typing in zip codes until Kill comes onto his screen where the zip code numbers were, were coming up. He stops... And looks at it, but then keeps going once the numbers reappear. He goes through a few more zip codes and then sees kill him. Kill them all. Yeah. Listen to Metallica is what it's telling him to do. <laughs> Listen to Metallica. And we're at the opening credits. So no one died in the cold open that we see, but I'm getting major going postal vibes. Does he work at the post office or does he work at the insurance company that's sending out all the letters? I don't know. Just, just a postal center and I was thinking. Yeah. Just thoughts. Just thoughts. I have some not-so-fun facts about where Going Postal comes from. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I'm going to skip them. Okay. I think so. But I do have a one not-so-fun fact about David Berkowitz, a.k.a. Oh. the son of Sam. Okay. He was working at USPS as a letter sorter at the time of his arrest. Wow. Interesting. So I found that out, and I decided to do that, to say that part instead of the other parts I have here. So, after the opening credits, we are at the Civic Center, Franklin, Pennsylvania. It is 10.20 a.m. The elevator is crammed with various businessmen and businesswomen. Too many people in the elevator. Yes! Look, too crowded. <laughs> yes. And then somebody starts coughing. Yep. One man has a nagging cough. Oh, man, that made me so anxious. Yes. We're starting at floor 11. The elevator goes down to 7, where there is a ring and the door opens. This elevator is too crowded, and the coughing continues, because I think more people get on at 7. There's a digital sign showing the floor numbers. Again, it starts at 11, and then there's a message underneath it that says, No air. There's a very sweaty man in this elevator, crammed full of people. 
he keeps glancing at the messaging and it says kill them all and then kill them and then i start thinking oh no are we coming back to ghost in the machine i know i thought the same thing oh where's brad where's brad wheelcheck where what, is he what has he been doing right hey we told you not to mess with computers sir yeah you're not allowed the next shot is of crime scene tape blocking off the mass murder. The bodies from the elevator are covered in blue tarps. One of the cops, Spencer, explains the scene to Mulder, who is wearing gloves, by the way. Good job. Thanks for coming on such short notice. I realize the FBI's behavioral science unit normally profiles murder suspects that are still at large, and it must be odd being asked to profile our suspects, all of whom are dead. I am relieved the Bureau answered our request and sent you. Because in all honesty, Agent Mulder, whatever's going on here is way over our heads. It sure is. But then he does list off a bunch of stuff that they did. Mm -hmm. And it sounds surprisingly competent. I was really happy. And I think I have a note in here that's like, they must have listened to you. Because he does say some stuff. I think that's coming up. Uh, the suspect is dead, as we've covered. He was shot by a security guard. His body is outside the building. There are witnesses from the elevator. They're at the hospital, so he didn't kill everybody in the elevator. Mulder hasn't said anything at this point. <laughs> Poor Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to fill, fill Mulder in, and Mulder is giving him nothing. <laughs> And he's also definitely shaken. It's unusual for Mulder because he usually comes in cracking jokes or has some sort of flippant response. And this time he walks in and he's like, I'm going to see how long I can play the silent game at this guy's face. He still got bummed about the X-Files being closed thing going on. He was making jokes in the sewer last episode. Two episodes ago. Whatever that episode was. Muck boots. Yeah. Muck boots episode. Yes. Which would have been nice yesterday, actually. So he's being silent. He's looking around. It's a bit unsettling of how he's behaving. Do you think he's still upset for showing his ass and being having it handed right back to him when he walked into the room? He's keeping his ass covered from now on. I see. But it's as though they realize the errors of the New Jersey cops at the crime scene. So Spencer tells us everything they have done and everything <laughs> they have not done. Right. <laughs> Finally, Mulder asks about the computer screen, if it was damaged in the incident, and Spencer says that he'll find out. Then he explains how this isn't supposed to happen in their little town. No. The guy in the elevator killed four people with his bare hands, and over the last six months, seven people have killed 22. That's a lot. Which is a lot. I feel like that's a lot for any size. But he says, like, per capita, that's more than Detroit, Chicago, and New York combined? Yeah. Combined? Yeah, I didn't. That's... Are there, like, 57 people in this town? Right. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, jeez. 22 dead people in a month? And that's, like... In six months. Six months? Oh, that's even... Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. And it would be enough to shake anybody in a small town, for sure. But I'm saying per capita, that's... Right. That, that is not a line I looked into, because <laughs> I just rolled my eyes at it. They talk about suicide by cop, which I can't discuss without getting furious in an unentertaining way. Great. So unless you have something to say. I do. All okay. of these people were unarmed. How in the hell did they commit suicide by cop if they were unarmed? It's very easy. <laughs> I don't think it's considered suicide at that point. Whatever <laughs> the cops want to call it. Uh-huh. Moving on. Uh, they found no substance abuse during the autopsies. Out of seven people, not a single person had anything in their system. Oh, this is a small town, Agent Mulder. People here don't drink. I know. They certainly don't do illegal drugs. Have you ever driven through a small town? There is 
a diner called like Granny's Diner <laughs> and a bar called Haps. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Everything else closed down years ago. <laughs> and maybe a hardware store. Oh, yes. Hardware or hardware and feed store. Because, yeah, that makes sense. Bait shop. But there's always a bar. Yeah. Always. And he says, this guy, I played softball with this guy. He was great. He bought everybody around. You said nobody drinks. He said... How does how he buying... What's he buying around shots of milk? There you go. <laughs> he said he bought everybody around even though he doesn't drink. No, he said nobody in this town I drinks know. earlier. So, yeah, somebody's lying. I think this guy did it. <laughs> you think it was Spencer? <laughs> he sounds too competent. But, but he's competent, but inconsistent. Ugh. Well, then he's very consistent in this last thing that he says. Officers use deadly force to save lives. Uh-huh. I was like, okay. So now we're in Franklin, Pennsylvania. At Commercial Trust's ATM, the machine asks Ed Funch, the guy from the cold open, to enter his PIN number. He does. He hears a mother talking behind him to a little girl. And the mom says something like, I told you to stop picking at it. This, I, this wouldn't happen if you wouldn't pick at it. And when, she, when he turns around to look at what they're, what they're doing, the little girl's nose is bloody. And I'm like, what, what is this scene setting up? What is this girl doing? Like digging into her, what is she doing? COVID test onto her brain? Yep. <laughs> so whatever. Well, the little girl's nose is bloody. He, Ed starts seeing stuff and getting sweaty. It sends him into a fugue state. Then the ATM says, security guard. And then take his gun, then kill them all. Man, if I killed somebody every time weird electronics were telling me to kill people, nobody in this town would be safe. It's crazy. Like, can't you just ignore the electronics? Ed's trying. He does a good job. He really does. Because I wasn't, after the way they set up the first scene, I wasn't expecting to see him again. Uh I was expecting him to be one of the seven people. Right. Obviously, that was what they were trying to do yeah but his him being a guest star he's too big of a, a name to kill off in the cold open i guess that's true so oh he starts hitting the atm after it's talking to him fighting whatever that feeling is that came over him and the security guard yells at him to stop as ed runs away but he left his atm card behind for the guard to look at and that doesn't come up until does it ever come up again i don't think so i don't think so either the machine goes back to being a regular machine raggedy bitch now we're in Venango County Sheriff's Department. Mulder looks at photographs of various homicide suspects. You know, all of the people the cops shot in this town. Right. And he talks over the scene. He says, perpetrators of mass murders are divided into two classifications, the spree killer and the serial. The sudden violent outburst in a public locale and the suspect's disregard for anonymity and survival define the Franklin incidents as spree killings. Next, we are in the FBI National Academy, Quantico, Virginia. Scully is reading the report on her computer that Mulder sent over, I assume. And he's still talking over the scene. It just transitioned visually. Mulder is still saying, The confounding element of the profiles is that, given their backgrounds, the perpetrators would be, statistically, more likely the victims of violent crimes rather than the originators. He then profiles them as middle-class, responsible people code for they didn't do drugs or get harassed by the police (laughs) and Mulder thinks there's an outside force involved so now we're getting back to x-files territory 
Mulder also mentions the results of the residue found under the last murderer's fingernails. I'm, I missed that in the um, explanation. He looks at the guy's from the, the guy from the elevator's fingers, and he has some sort of residue. It's a non-toxic organic chemical found on plants, and he has no idea how to profile the next killer. But we do see Mulder doing his damn job, so I guess they heard me too. Nice. Now, he says that these people are all more likely to be the victims of crimes. They're all middle-aged white guys, except for two. One of them's a middle-aged white lady, and one of them's a middle-aged black guy. Mm-hmm. What? Middle-aged white guys are not, I'm going to say, not typically more likely to be the victims of a crime than the cause of a crime. That's an asinine statement, especially when we're talking about, like, mass murder. Anytime there's a mass murder, I'm going, ah, oh, it's a middle-aged white guy. That's my first conclusion I jumped to. At this point, I'm at, like, 24-year-old white guy. Ah. But, yeah, it's always a white guy. Yeah, always. So that's that's a dumb thing. And then when he's, like, uh, when he mentions that it's a plant residue thing, I'm like, oh, no. Is this the happening? <laughs> <sighs> it's plant residue. We get a... We gotta, we gotta stop these plants. <laughs> it's the wind. the wind. It's the trees. We gotta run away from the wind. <laughs> All the pollen. You should not have watched that <laughs> Mark Wahlberg film last night. Shooter. I saw Shooter last night on Basic Cable. So. Oh. Yeah. Basic Cable is our favorite thing to do in hotel rooms. Yes. And Shooter is perfect for shitty hotel TV. Yes. Unfortunately, Lifetime's doing all of their Christmas movies and not all of their My Mistress's Child Murdered Me (laughs) (laughs) Lifetime movies, which is what I was here for. But I did watch a cute little Lifetime movie on Friday. Then he also mentions that uh, it could be aliens. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And she says says out loud, Scully says out loud, I was wondering when you were going to mention that. Yeah. (laughs) And so were we all. Yes. Now we're in Franklin, Pennsylvania. No more voiceover. Mrs. McRoberts apprehensively walks towards the mechanic garage where the mechanic can be heard whistling. There is dim light coming from where he's standing, but he's mostly shadowed by the... Everything's mostly shadowed near the hood. And there's clattering of tools. He's back there working, but in the dark. This is the scariest looking mechanic shop I've ever seen. Where are all the lights? I'm that gif of the octopus noping its way out of here. (laughs) It's real weird. It's like she went in there after hours when they were closed. Right. Is what it looks like. It really does. So honestly, the way that it's it's set up, if he were working under a hood on a car and he had one of those little hanging lights and everything else was off, it would actually make sense for what he was doing. But if yeah. he's expecting somebody... I don't think he was. I think she walked in after hours when they were closed. Okay. It's just a wild situation. Like him, in and of himself, he's not doing anything wrong. But the whole setup... The scenario. Yeah. Is creepy. Is very yeah. creepy. So, um, instead of noping her way out of there, she continues to walk in because women are socialized to be nice to men and he said something to her. <laughs> he starts telling her what's extra wrong with her car and startles her by cranking the engine with a machine, which was a little bit rude. A little bit, but he was trying to get her to listen to it because it sounded terrible. That engine sounded horrible and i was like oh he's probably on the up and up (laughs) everything is still very dark and he shows her a diagnostic readout on a computer and then we can't really hear what he's saying anymore because the computer screen is talking to the woman mrs roberts so his voice kind of fades in the background because we know that she is going now into this fugue state like we've seen ed go into and on the 
computer readout, it says liar, then he's a liar, then he'll rape you, then he'll kill you, then kill him first. The whole time she doesn't move and she's just looking at the screen. And he says, if you don't believe me, take a look here. And he touches her and she bludgeons him to death with a socket wrench. And then the computer like makes a little sound like it's happy. That's not how she kills him. That's how she gets him dazed. And he grabs something to fight back. But she grabs one of the things that you jam in the top of an oil can. Oh, is that? And she stabs him in the gut with it. So when he falls over, I was like, oh, <laughs> blood's just going to be spurting out of that thing. Uh... I was I was so excited to see the blood just spurting out of it. And they didn't, they didn't do it. They, they really missed out on a... I don't know if they could have on... Network TV. Yeah. It, yeah, it would have been it would have been a cool shot. Ugh. What I have a problem with is them using a very real yeah scenario. Especially later when they're like, her husband said she was paranoid about it. Yeah. I actually thought later in the next scene, uh, I thought she was going to end up having killed her husband as well. She should have. But I hate him. But apparently he still alive to make that statement for for making that statement at least kick him in the balls okay so we're at the next day Mulder is taking pictures of the mechanic because he heard me saying that he didn't take pictures last time yeah larry winters shows up he's the county supervisor which means he's sketch (laughs) spencer explains how it's not the same as the others because the kill wasn't in public and the killer fled the scene Mulder says they are connected when he sees that Mrs. McRoberts was in to have the digital readouts on the dashboard replaced because they were smashed. They go to the McRoberts house. Mrs. McRoberts opens the door to see Mulder and Spencer. She says she'll be late for work and Mulder says, blame me. And she does not say, yes, you can come in. Nope. But they just barge in anyway. And so that's what I was thinking. And I wrote it down. What are your rights in this moment? Can you just leave? I don't understand what your rights are with FBI. And you I definitely think- don't have to let them in. No, I wouldn't let them in. And they definitely can't come in without you saying yes. Ugh, hate this. this more, more TV about what we can actually tell the cops that they can't do because what our rights really are, not mm-hmm. cops being pretend heroes. Ugh, all right. When Mulder asks about the car, she says that's her husband's department, but he took the car to Pittsburgh. Now, look at this house. They have more than one car. <laughs> yes. Also, this is a small town, which means little to no public transportation. So, of course she has another car. She wasn't walking in that outfit to wherever her job is. Right. I assumed that she was talking specifically about that specific car. Not that the only car is gone. Just that car is gone. That's what I was expecting. That's how I took it. And this is also when I thought, oh, she already killed her husband. But that turned out not to be true. Anyway, she decides to make breakfast. Or t- to have <laughs> breakfast if she's going going to be late anyway. And I'm like... This she, is the 90s. She's like, she, I, I'm, I wrote that down too, because she's like, do you mind if I have breakfast? I'm like, didn't you just say that you're late for work? Why are you now making breakfast? And then she pops like an English muffin, a frozen English muffin in the microwave. And then and gets then, bread. And then goes over to the counter and grabs another English muffin out of the... <laughs> How many English muffins are you eating, lady? <laughs> she can have however many English muffins she wants. No, she can't. Because <laughs> the microwave is giving her bad advice. That's true. Uh, the microwave starts to talk to her. It says, he knows. And then, kill them both. She answers Mulder's questions and walks away from the microwave. Then, when he looks at the readout on the microwave, because Mulder walks over after she's acting super weird, but it's just a regular microwave. 
He asks how the damage to the car occurred, and she's in a trance-like state now, which Mulder hasn't picked up on. <laughs> then she and looks. She's in the knife drawer, which Mulder hasn't. No, picked and up he's on. standing right next to her. <laughs> She looks like she's struggling and confesses to breaking the instruments as she's reaching for a knife. As Mulder gets real close to her without noticing her hand in the drawer, he touches her. Would people stop touching this woman? (laughs) Then she pulls a knife on him and Spencer shoots her. Well, she gets a good slash at him. Yeah, it's, it's, this one's real upsetting and disappointing, but less so than like just an unarmed person. Because she does have a knife and she is trying to kill Mulder actively. It's a clean shoot. But it's not a good one. Yeah, it's messy. Because Mulder's like, no! We can get a hold of her while she's in this state. We can figure out what's going on. But Spencer... Is a cop. Is a cop and has had to shoot seven other people this... (laughs) I don't think he's shot all of the other people. That's true. He didn't shoot the guy in the elevator because it was a security guard. He was like, damn it, the security guard got there first. (laughs) He's got the other six and then her... That's why he was actually shaken, because he missed one. Oh, man. Poor guy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> feel bad for him now. Aw. At the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, Scully pulls back the sheet to reveal the corpse of Mrs. McRoberts. She turns on a light and takes a scalpel, and then her voice plays over the scene. This is what her voice says. Oh, my goodness. This is so ridiculous. Several anomalies were discovered in post-mortem analysis that were undetected in previous autopsies. Levels of adrenaline are known to be high in cases of violent death, twice as much as in victims of natural death. This subject's levels were 200 times normal. The adrenal gland displays extensive adrenal hemorrhage, yet not from disease, but rather from wear. Other physiological evidence present indicated intense phobia. Analysis of the vitreous humor extracted extracted from the eyeball. (laughs) Indicated the presence of high concentration of an undetermined chemical compound. This compound, at its base, is similar to the substance analyzed earlier on a perpetrator's finger. So that non-toxic plant thing. Greenish-grayish stuff. Although further qualitative analysis must be performed, it is my opinion that this chemical, when reacting with adrenaline and other compounds secreted during phobic episodes, creates a substance to lysergic acid diethylide. L-S-D. Which everybody knows makes you go homicidally crazy. Yeah. Come on now. 90s just say no stuff is the dumbest shit. It really is. So now we're at the shopping mall in Franklin, Pennsylvania. The shopping mall is busy today and Ed Punch, decked out in his best suit, walks up to the customer service counter. Poor Ed. Poor Ed. I really feel for this guy. Yeah. He's really trying. Yeah. He's actually doing really well. Yeah. His willpower is strong. Yeah. He is proficient in will-saving threats. <laughs> now that we have started playing D&D together, I, I, my brain puts everything in D&D. <laughs> he says he'd like to apply for a job, but is informed that they are not accepting applications at this time. He walks away distraught and a bit sweaty. He noticed a blood drive occurring inside the mall. <laughs> the 90s were wild. What? <laughs> A woman in a very floral dress asks him to sign up for the blood drive. Funch is not having a good day and walks off. And she keeps calling out to him, which is a lot. Leave him alone. Maybe she, has, maybe she has a quota. She probably does. But geez, all right. He stops at, a, at the TV pile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
as it flashes a few scenes repeatedly. Oh, did you catch what they were? Yes. Charles Manson. Yep. A scene from the L.A. riots. Specifically the beating of Reginald Denny. Yep. The Rodney King beating. Ooh, I missed that one. An exploding building. That was Waco. Another riot scene. There was a mosh pit. Oh, was it a mosh pit? It was a mosh pit. Okay. And the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase. Yep. Good job. I did. I I missed uh, Rodney King. I actually pulled what was on those TVs from the uh, the X-Files archive site and then just modified it down to, or just edited it. So, well, between the two of us, we got it right. The mosh pit. That's yeah, pretty it's a mosh pit. I think that's probably what they're saying is a riot. I think so. <laughs> but it's a bot. It's just a mosh pit. You could tell because there was a shirtless guy that had a flannel tied around his waist. Oh. <laughs> There's one of those in every mosh pit in the 90s. Always. Yeah. Tall, lanky, usually. Yep. There's also always a short looking dude who looks a lot like early Chris Cornell just pacing the outside of the mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> looking real angry, muttering to himself. Yep. <laughs> He was always my favorite guy. <laughs> I liked the shirtless flannel guy because he was always having the best time. <laughs> the middle monitor goes black. Then it says, behind you, then do it. And we see Ed walking toward the gun section. Back in Franklin, Pennsylvania, Mulder is going for his morning jog when he sees a truck pull up to a house. A man seated on the top takes a spade full of flies and throws them into the lawn and gutter, then taps the side of the truck with it. Mulder watches as the truck drives off, then bends down and picks up the flies. Yeah. Okay. I didn't bother to look into this because I like just watched the episode the one time like just now. But hucking dead flies at trees? What is that about? I don't know. And I know that they explained it, but I did not understand it. No, I don't have any explanation either. Just hucking spoon two scoops of dead flies at, at the base of a tree. Okay. Mm, fertilizer. Now we're at the Lone Gunman's office in Washington, D.C. Bro Hike's face, it's enlarged by a giant magnifying glass as Byers and Langley look on. They did give Fro Hike better lines, but he's still a pervert. Yeah. I was really hoping that that was going to be like a one-time thing where they're like, we're just throwing these guys in for the hell of it and then we're never going to see him again so this guy can be a-hole. But no, he's still the same and I am disappointed by that. So what happens in this scene? Uh, I think this is where they explain radiated flies as a way to keep pests away. And like Frohike? Yeah. It didn't work against him either. Nope. And Mulder in the scene calls him Frohickey. Oh, does he? Yeah. And I can't remember if they called him Frohike or we've just been calling him that. Oh, well. But it doesn't matter because fuck that guy. We don't need to know his name. <laughs> I can't stand him. But then the other guys are talking about pest control and irradiated flies and a thing to keep to make their fear, fear centers spark up and they right. go away. <laughs> Mulder's like, well, if it does the same thing to humans, would they actually use it? And then they have to explain to him what DDT did to everybody. Right. <laughs> and Which is wild because I didn't even know that. I knew that it was killing bald eagles and that's why we quit using it. Oh, you didn't know what it was doing to people? No. Oh. It was, but I knew that it was killing bald eagles, and that's the reason I knew that they stopped using DDT. They wouldn't have stopped for that. I feel like they would have stopped doing that quicker than it harming humans. Well, I meant to do a science corner on DDT, but I just realized it in my notes. Look, I ran 50 miles yesterday, guys, and this is a free podcast. <laughs> I skipped a science corner. DDT is bad. Franklin, Pennsylvania, Mulder is sitting on a hill looking over the top. 
of a crop field with binoculars. Uh, with fro hickeys, night vision goggles. Oh, is that what it was? That he asked, can I borrow those? And he said, oh, yeah. if you give me Scully's phone number. So I really hope Mulder gave him a fake phone number. Ugh. Otherwise, ugh. See why I'm out? When they showed up, that's what I didn't write anything down besides they gave him more lines. Yeah, I'm... Yeah. You want... You said, eh, they're gonna be in more things and it's gonna be better. Yeah, well, I was hopeful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I am an optimist. It's... And I see the bright side of everything. Anyway, Mulder's on a hill, looking through binoculars. He doesn't really see anything, but then he hears helicopter. He looks again and sees nothing. There's a dog barking as he's walking down a hill. He goes further into the field because that always turns out well for him. <laughs> Dog's still barking. We hear crickets chirping. And then the wind picks up and holy shit, the helicopter sprays Mulder. Yeah, Mulder gets a big dose of the scarecrow gas. What do you think Mulder is afraid of that's going to trigger him? Infomercials. Infomercials? Oh, he, he always falls asleep to TV, so I'm sure that's true. he probably finds those soothing. I was just thinking what happened because the TV was on and I was like, what was on the TV? I couldn't remember. <laughs> what is wrong with Mulder? Or what is Mulder afraid of? Medicine? Medicine? Not medicine like Dayquil. Medicine like being treated and pathogens and disease. Oh, so you're you're going off of he gets triggered in the yeah. hospital. I'm just saying in general, what do you think will trigger him? Because he doesn't really get triggered. Not really. What do I think? I think he's scared of those skinny leg aliens. Yeah. He has to be. Yeah. He tried to unload a clip into one. And that makes sense because traumatic things happened when he saw those. He wasn't having good times no. any of the times he, either of the times he saw the skinny legs. He hates skinny jeans. Skinny jeans is what triggers him. He's, he had a rough time in the 2010s. In the, in the early 2010s. He hates hipsters. <laughs> he, he's also not a fan of ironic mustaches. <laughs> no. What do you think he's afraid of? I think it's just a, those aliens. Just those aliens? Yeah, it's the only thing I can really pick up from the previous episodes. Yeah. Well, he's we already know he's paranoid of being watched and followed. That's true. Hmm. Surveilled. Surveilled. Mulder is afraid of being surveilled. So here's a tangent that I wanted to bring up. Did you ever play outside while the mosquito trucks were spraying? Yeah, I so did. So did I! They didn't tell us to come in. No! just ridiculous i do remember just them watch it go by like 15 feet away from me oh yeah no we chased it down the street before yeah because we were dumb children and dumber after chasing yeah. the chemical <laughs> yeah. truck you know how the ice cream truck says something like i don't know don't hitch a ride on us just kidding it doesn't say that it says <laughs> like slow children around or something but i did also run with some friends and we jumped onto the back of the ice cream truck oh nice he was not happy. I imagine. But there wasn't a sign on the back of the mosquito truck that was like, hey, children, stop chasing me. <laughs> and we could hear it going around the whole neighborhood. Super loud. So loud. Just breathing it in. Just getting it all in our pores. All in our little baby pores. All right. Franklin County Hospital, Franklin, Pennsylvania. Scully finishes taking Mulder's blood as Winter talks to Spencer. Mulder is mad because he's still covered in insecticide. Winter says Mulder is predisposed to being spooky, which yeah. sets Mulder off, and I like righteous Mulder. Yeah. <laughs> Don't start with that tired crap. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start diverting blame. The sooner you take responsibility, the sooner people will stop dying. 
The killers all resided near heavily sprayed areas. Yeah, seems like a reasonable conclusion. Turns out Larry Winter is illegally spraying and is mad about it. <laughs> Monsanto told me it would be safe. Yeah. Scully is here to be wrong. Yeah. Subliminal messages, Mulder. That's not real. What? In 1994? I can't remember all back to all of these things that Scully is, keeps being skeptical of. And we know now that those are totally real things. Like, I can't remember how many of those we knew in the 90s were totally real things. But I feel like subliminal messages, we knew that that was a real thing. Right. Whether or not it was actually working, I have a science corner on. But people using them? Yeah. Yes, was an actual thing happening. And then Mulder starts seeing the subliminal message on, messages on the TV. So, Science Corner. Science Corner with Kristen. In a New York Times article called What's New in Subliminal Messages? Covert Whispers to Workers and Customers by John Laughlin from March 20th, 1988. <laughs> in department stores, there may be subliminal sounds of jail doors slamming or police sirens wailing to deter shoplifters. The music piped into a factory may be cautioning workers to be safe. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know about that. Uh-uh. So then in this article, David Riccio... Okay, I'm going to tell you about two guys, and I want you to tell me who you would believe more. Okay, probably David. David Riccio, an entrepreneur who produces subliminals to deter theft in stores, promote gambling in casinos, and deter rowdiness in theaters, says he tries to appeal to all the senses though he downplays the potential for abuse with subliminals. He says, There isn't a shred of evidence people can be manipulated. They must have a predisposition to the message, and the message simply enlivens that predisposition. That makes sense, actually. So then we meet Gary T. Marks, an MIT sociology professor who recently published a book on police surveillance, and he is fretting, was fretting at that time, about the velvet glove of modern technology. One concern, he says, it, about socially positive subliminals is that they can provoke unforeseen reactions. We live in a threatening age when no one speaks for the rights of the consumers of these messages. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. First of all, you've got me trying to take a side between a David and a Marx, which is already tough, just based on names. An entrepreneurial DJ named David Riccio. <laughs> <laughs> And an MIT sociology professor. <laughs> Named Marx. Yeah. Ah, damn it. <laughs> Finally, in a book titled Neurologic, The Brain's Hidden Rationale Behind Our Irrational Behavior by Eliza J. Sternberg, there states a number of department stores have tried using subliminal messages to reduce shoplifting. Embedded in the store's background music were words of moral encouragement like, I am honest, I will not steal. <laughs> Repeated over and over again. Wow. Some stores claim that the incidence of shoplifting fell dramatically as a result, but there was no quantifiable data included, and the author rules it inconclusive. <laughs> now, back to the show. Mulder says everyone has a phobia, or had a phobia. McRoberts' phobia was a paranoia about rape. Name a woman who doesn't have that air quotes paranoia. So now the illegal sprayer guy is going to do some extensive testing. Yeah, gonna get everybody's blood. I don't understand this. So he's acknowledging doing illegal stuff. And now he's deciding that he can 
enforce blood tests and blood work on his town. Yeah, it's all real sketchy. And no, nothing's going to happen with the illegal spraying. No. And where is he getting the funds to do all of this testing? And how is he getting anybody's permission? Or is it, it doesn't sound like it's... No, this part is entirely TV magic. It doesn't sound consent-based. It sounds... Yeah, based on how they go to Ed's house and bang on the door like cops. They literally say, somebody's going to be coming to your house to get your blood. Yeah, this entire part is TV magic. It's horrifying. Uh, my um, suspension of disbelief has kicked into overdrive <laughs> for this bit. Because if I, if I looked at this part critically whatsoever, it falls apart immediately. <laughs> Well, we go to Edward Funch's house. Funch is watching a commercial on the local blood drive. The screen reads, free cholesterol testing. So it doesn't sound like they're even telling people why they're testing. No, that was part of the deal, is people can't know why they're being tested. And, th and then some people wonder why other people are questioning the validity of the medical system in this country, because oh. shit like this happens. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of something that was said in the Lone Gunman scene, I think. Mulder was talking about testing without people's consent or knowledge. Like, it's such a foreign concept. What school did these people go to? Yeah. Scully doesn't know about subliminal messages, and Mulder <laughs> doesn't realize that the government has been testing on people without their knowledge and consent forever. Doesn't he mention the Tuskegee experiments in a previous episode? Yes! <sighs> His knowledge is inconsistent. <laughs> And he has that ability to not forget things. The inability to not forget. <laughs> or no, the inability to forget things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, obviously, his fear is blood. And making that blood drive... So, making that blood drive very rude is what I said. <laughs> Stop being rude to Mr. Ed. Punch purchased a shit ton of ammunition and a gun. Oh, so much ammunition. All his electronics are being dicks, flashing blood. And then his watch goes off and says, kill. So now we're at Benango County Sheriff's Office. Just that word. My brain doesn't want to do that word. They're checking out a list of people, and Ed Bunch is next. Back in Ed, Ed's house, his doorbell has been ripped out of the wall. They go inside and find the empty gun case. I would like to point out that a broken doorbell is not probable cause. No, but the door is unlocked, so it's allowed. <sighs> they read off Funch's file and discover it was a man the mandatory blood test that set him off, which seems like a large leap in logic. <laughs> what a large leap in logic. Yeah. Back at Franklin, Pennsylvania, the destination of the bus is Franklin Community General Hospital. A few people get off, then two more get on. The bus starts off and Funch desperately runs after it. Fortunately for Ed, the bus stops and lets him in. Also fortunately, his computer friend warns him the cops are waiting for him. Which was the first time that something like this has happened. Yeah, this throws the entire episode into question. Yes, it does. And it doesn't ever get answered. Right, so should we save that for the end? Yeah. Okay. He snaps at the bus driver, screaming to be let off. We don't see it, but he obviously is let off. Franklin Community Hospital in Franklin, Pennsylvania. Spencer walks out of the building, motioning for another officer to head the other way. The driver tells Mulder that he dropped Ed off at a, uh, near the college. And we can see that at the hospital, there's a bunch of police. They were going to ambush him. And then Franklin Community College. The blood drive is booming. People are walking by and signing up. Orange juice is ready on the table. Funch looks around. 
Then uh, at the electronic sign, which scrolls blood drive Saturday, 11 to five, he looks away and then back at it. And I said, Jesus fucking Christ, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Are we recreating the University of Texas tower shooting from yeah. August 1st, 1966? Exactly. So I looked up the number of school shootings in the U.S. I was going to compare before 1994 and after 1994, and it's simply too depressing. Yeah. So I looked at 1994 alone, and there were 24 school shootings in 1994, according to this list on Wikipedia. Oh, wow. That's way more than I would have expected. Yeah, that's me too, which is why I looked it up, because I was thinking, if they're going to do this whole school shooting thing, uh, this is before Columbine, this is Uh before now when our kids have active shooter drills every year, every every couple of months. It's ridiculous. So I was curious, and it is an extensive list. Wow. Before... They, there weren't semi-automatics available, so the numbers of people who were killed and injured were lower more consistently. It was one or two people. Now it's higher. Now it's mass right. masses of people. But there were shootings regularly. Huh. All the way back to, I didn't write it down, back to the 1800s. Yeah, the largest school shooting of all time is still from the 1800s. Editor's note. What I was referring to here was the Bath School disaster of 1927, not the 1800s. So I didn't write anything else down in this scene. I was too busy looking up school shootings. So would you like to say what happens in this scene? Oh, okay. First, this scenario is different than all of the other ones because all of the other ones are like in the moment. Right, this is planned. This is so premeditated. Mm -hmm. So I have a problem with that. Yep. And then... Obviously, he goes up to the clock tower, and my note is really is literally clock tower. Really, this is what we're doing. I don't like that. Mm-mm. So he takes a shot, misses. Mulder sees it. He eventually gets to the clock tower and starts running up. Eats shit on the stairs <laughs> because we've gone from Scully getting knocked out all the time to just Mulder falling down all the time, <laughs> which is better for everybody. Yeah, it's better for Scully's brain. It anyway. is. Yep, maybe that's why she didn't know about subliminal messages. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> that part of her brain got damaged. So he opens up his knife wound and gets up there and he's negotiating with Larry. I forget his... Ed. Ed. Larry... Or Ed. <laughs> <laughs> is still trying to fight it, but he says something like, they won't let me. They won't let me put the gun down, which is weird. Mm-hmm. It really muddles a lot of things. It really does. This is a whole... This isn't the ending to a different episode than what we've been watching. (laughs) Yeah. And Mulder gambles and says, you know, there's going to be a lot of blood if you shoot me. And it gives him pause and he shows him the blood, but then that triggers him and he goes to shoot him, but then they wrestle and the gun gets thrown down. Yeah. Thrown down the clock tower. They wheel Ed out in a stretcher and people are like, I can't believe he did that. If you listen to anybody talking in the background. He was such a nice guy. Uh, Except none of them knew him. Nope. (laughs) That's kind of, uh, is that the end of the episode? Um, at one, so Mulder is sitting outside the school by himself. His phone tells him. Oh, that's right. His phone tells him whatever was causing this is done. And I said, so good job ending it? Yeah. It says something like, we're done, bye. Yeah. So mm-hmm. was it aliens? Super weird. Super weird. Okay, so let's get into this real quick. What the hell was doing this? I don't know. At first, you think it's just the chemicals. And then that's making them imagine the messages. Right. But then when the the message tells Ed that 
that they're waiting for him. Yeah. Then we're getting messages. He can't possibly hallucinate that because that's information he doesn't have. Right. So we're now we're talking about a third party mm-hmm. involved, which Mulder touches on earlier in the episode, but it's real quick, and I dismissed it because that's kind of dumb. Was that during the, the think, lone gunman? I think it's when he was in the hospital. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, I blanked out of the lone gunman scene. Apparently, yeah. I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah. But, yeah, so this starts off, and they really hit a lot of terrible tropes here. We've got the going postal trope. We've got the clock tower school shooting trope. Uh-huh. We've got the, um, the politician who's illegally spraying all of his townspeople, which happens so often. Yeah. And we get... Indications that there's the spraying, so it's a pesticide situation, and then we get a non-toxic organic plant thing that seemed separate because it was on his fingers, like he'd been digging in dirt. Yeah. Because I dig in dirt to repot and everything, and so I was, that's what I was thinking. Like he had, when I put plant food in, I'm touching it with my fingers. I should probably also be wearing gloves, but what is this? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) So that's what I was thinking, just based on the... Because it was on his fingertips. And then we get... The messages are very consistent at first. Kill him, kill them all. And then they start to become more where he'll rape you. Mm -hmm. So that's where the phobias start coming in. Because Ed's screen didn't say blood. He just saw blood because he cut himself. Yeah. So we weren't seeing that it was a phobia at first. And then we get the, the third party, the omniscient narrator view of they're waiting for you which takes it completely out of your head and into a whole separate thing and then at the very very end they're talking to Mulder about how they're done they're leaving now and they're sending messages on things that are not connected to any sort of internet yeah so how is a third party getting into these things to send a message I don't know I don't know what this is you can't hack into a microwave right I mean you probably could now (laughs) <laughs> there's probably microwaves that are Bluetooth enabled and shit. Yeah. So. But in 94, no. Yeah. It's, it's sloppy. It's messy. It's, it's a messy episode. It is. It could have been a good one, but it's messy. It's, yeah. So what did you think about it overall? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Would you ever watch it again? No, it's not going to be one of my rewatch episodes. It's, no. yeah, it could have been a good one. It's, but it's just too messy. It's all over the place. It is. There's not, there's no, even, we said this in the last season where there's no, not resolution. A, no resolution. But this one, there's not even a, cons- Cl- a consistent monster. Yeah. There's not even a clear antagonist. Yeah. It's very strange. All right. Who are you shipping? I had nobody until you were reading uh, other people's credits. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I am shipping now. Mrs. McRoberts and the mechanic. (laughs) After seeing her filmography, that should have been a, oh, I can't pay for this with money situation. (laughs) I am also shipping Mrs. McRoberts and not her husband because that guy sucks, (laughs) but not the mechanic because she was afraid of him. So who else? But if she wasn't paranoid, she wouldn't have been afraid of him. Yeah. In my scenario. So it was her fault. Come come on, don't. (laughs) do that to me so i'm still not gonna ship the mechanic because his whole setup was creepy that was creepy as fuck but she shouldn't have been there but he also could have turned on another light okay i like my scenario it fits with her filmography well let's no i'm not gonna ship her i'm gonna ship 
Sheriff Spencer, because mm-hmm. he seemed like he was he was trying. For, for the most part, he seemed he's probably the most competent local cop we've got. Yeah, in, in the series so far. And you know what, Ed? Prior to uh, both of them shooting people, or shooting at people, Spencer shot somebody, and Ed shot at people. But if we retcon the shooting parts, <laughs> I think that they are two. They seem like two decent guys trying to do their jobs. And you know what? I bet they'd get along really well. All right. And then when they had one of them had a bad day, they'd be like, it's okay, honey. <laughs> Would you like some hot tea? You just go kick your feet up. We'll get through this. We got this. All right. And it'd be so sweet. Oh, all right. How are you surviving? I am going to survive by doing what I am doing now. Whenever my electronics tell me to kill somebody, I ignore it. That's terrifying. <laughs> Sam and my plants. How are you surviving? I don't know what I'm surviving. Am I surviving the pesticides? Or the random person killing you? <laughs> or, the, or that. Or aliens? <laughs> or the government? I'm not really sure. Yeah. I me guess, neither. I guess I'm also going to continue doing what I'm doing right now because I'm not really sure what is after me. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Until the threat becomes more clear. I will just stay diligent. Keep your head on a swivel. That's right. All right. Well, this coming week, I am looking forward to HOTS. Yes. Head of the South Regatta. That's what I'm looking forward to. That'll be really cool. I am also looking forward to that. Riley's very excited. Let's see. One thing that I am currently doing that I am enjoying is reading this manga from the early 90s called Parasite. Very good. I'm I'm on book six now. So good. So it is about a kind of, it's actually pretty, well, I don't know. It kind of could be this. Let's say that in this episode it was aliens. Because it feels like it was aliens toward the end. Yeah, I guess. So there's these aliens that come down to Earth or come to Earth from from somewhere. And um, they're taking over people. and But then they're also trying to assimilate into society because there's too many people versus too few of them in order to survive. So now it's a whole survival scenario of how do you survive in these in these different states what do you do what's what's morally right what's morally wrong where is that line how do you draw it who decides it's so much deeper than i anticipated when i started this and i know mega can be just crazy complex but it's really cool because it's it's kind of like our question to each other at the end of how would you survive this or what what would you do in this scenario, but just throughout a whole different world. Very cool. All right. So I'm loving that. And then, yes, looking forward to HOTS. I'm also looking forward to listening to the new Amy Mann album. I did not do that yesterday. So okay. Got that to look forward to. All right. So now we have two suggestions of, of entertainment, and uh, you guys know that we'll be busy next weekend, too. Yeah. <laughs> Busy always. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things artistic wonderful things we are raising the bar on podcasting we would love you forever for that we have a tea public store you can go buy t-shirts and stuff there 
music by Hal Six, logo by Anuka Art, that's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 